welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert, and today I am here with my sugar-free co-host, <laughs> Dr. Millicent Ravello. Dr. Ravello, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. And yes, we are on a sugar-free kick starting off the past month or so. Uh, it's good. It's good, minus, minus the birthday cake that I had today. <laughs> Well, I just want you to know that I have not had birthday cake, nor did I have Halloween candy, and I am really trying to do this sugar-free, sugar detox for the next, well, I've done it now for five days, tomorrow's going to be sixth, not that I'm counting, because then it's a week on Friday. And I'll tell you what, it's been different. Oh yeah, it makes you feel a lot better. I think, I mean, I think that's where it's at, we could, we should do a whole podcast on sugar and health and detoxing and fasting and all that good stuff but that being said not congratulations on making it to almost a week <laughs> with your sugar detox i'm trying it's not our topic for today but i just uh i thought i might bring it up that that's something you can try yes i recommend today we are going to do facelifts 101 the basic facelift course we're updating it from when we did this probably in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's time. It's time for a facelift 101. This will include everything from what it is, who gets it, when do you get it, to what you should plan for with surgery, how you're going to look after, and what you do for post-op. Let's, let's go through it all, and let's do it in 12 minutes or less. <laughs> yes, because this is part of our 101 series. We, we are just hitting the basics. We're going to try not to get off topic, Dr. Calvert, or into the weeds. <laughs> Who are you talking about? What? Do you mean? <laughs> I have a story for you. Let me tell you about this one time back in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so let's start it off with a story from Johns Hopkins. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> Which is a great story about a ponytail and a facelift dressing. Okay. Do you want to hear it? I would love to hear it. So this rotating medical student went to Johns Hopkins for a rotation. Mm -hmm. I think the attending was Paul Manson, but don't quote me on that. He's now retired. He was the chair of plastic surgery at Hopkins. He did a facelift. (laughs) The visiting medical student went in to take the dressing off. And you know how we do the dressings for a facelift. We wrap them up and then the ponytail comes out the top. Well, he took the dressing off with trauma scissors, <gasps> which included the ponytail. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so he didn't get a residency there, as you might imagine. As you might imagine. That's almost as good as the nurse or tech that shaved a patient's head in preparation for a facelift. Yes. Just so you know, listeners, your head will not be shaved when you come in for a facelift. Unless you go to a military That's institution. not part of the deal. But see, here we are. We're getting off topic. Back to the basics. <laughs> Who gets a facelift? So facelifts. Really, I think if you look at who's getting them now, it's anybody who feels that their facial shape is changing, even more so than getting jowls. Right. So as we age, the face changes shape. In youth, the cheekbones sit high, and then the chin sort of comes to a point. You have sort of a heart-shaped face. That's a very youthful look. And even if your face is more, say, square-shaped or round or puffy, you still have that sort of underlying basis of facial structure when you're young. As you age, for many reasons that we're not going to get into, the face 
changes shape. The soft tissue sort of falls off of the cheekbones. The cheekbones themselves become smaller. And you go from having sort of a heart-shaped face to being more square-jawed. And if you ever look at photos of celebrities over the years, you know, those who are in their 20s, you know, the Angelina Jolie's of the world, and then look at them 15, 20 years later, you'll see it. They still look beautiful. They still look great. But you can see how their face has changed over time. So it's very um, kind of symbolic and very noticeable change with age in the face yeah and that's when to get it so it's typically you know i'm doing facelifts on 45 year olds 43 year olds 47 year olds obviously in the 50s i think once you're into the 60s you certainly can get it but like you're kind of late to the game on the facelift you can do it and you should do it but earlier is better you get better results they last longer um and the facelift isn't just a facelift. It's a misnomer. It's really a jawline-defining procedure that lifts the face and the neck in conjunction. And everybody always asks about, oh, can I get a mini? And I, of course, say yes, because there's no such thing. The mini facelift is just a facelift done with a, a more limited incision. And people like to downplay everything. Nobody wants to say, oh, I'm getting a right. facelift. They want to say, oh, I'm getting a mini. I mean, just, a mini oh, facelift. he did a mini for me. I hear that all the time. And you look, there's a full facelift well, yeah. incision. Yeah. So whatever you need us to call it, we will yeah. call it that. We can call it the, you know, they have all these new marketing terms. People will come in and they'll say, oh, do you do the aura lift? Do you do a ponytail lift? Do you do this lift, that lift? They have all these names for it. It's all the same thing in different packages. There are, there are ways to lift the face that can you, you include the endoscope from above. You can do the traditional uh, ear, you know, in the tragus kind of incisions in front of the ear. I prefer to do the one behind the tragus and that's hidden in the creases way up into the hairline. Um, you can, I've done this where I've done just the behind the ear and then done endoscopic. That's uh, what uh, I think is known as the ponytail facelift. You can do whatever you want. But you have to make the diagnosis of what is wrong with your face so that you can treat it with the operation. That's really the key. So keeping it back to the basics, who gets a facelift? Someone who doesn't like the the shape of their face and someone that's noting jowling, which is loose skin around sort of the, you know, I don't even know what you would call, I call we call it jowl. I don't know how, what else to call it. It's, it's a jowl. Jowls. Those like soft, They're poochy jowls. things <laughs> on the corners of your mouth, at the bottom of your face that nobody likes. Not cute. And then anytime you're starting to see excess or loose skin of the neck. So people will frequently come in saying they want a neck lift. And usually it's men saying that, but women come in too saying they just want a neck lift because that's where their eye is noticing a change. Right. They're seeing there's loose looseness in the neck but what we know as plastic surgeons is they're actually seeing a descent of the whole face and to treat the neck in isolation from the lower face you just can't do it it's a connect it's all connected so if you come in and say you just want your neck done what you'll end up is getting a lower facelift or a mini facelift and what that means is you're getting incisions that go right along the ear, as you said, underneath, behind the ear, but you're not getting an extension into the temporal part of the forehead. You're not getting to the brows or anything like that. You're just focusing on basically everything from the cheekbones down. And so, yes, you're coming in for a neck lift and you're going to get a lower face because that's all connected. All of the deep fascial layers that hold tension in the face, they're all connected from the top of the head to the neck and you can't really just treat one of them in isolation. Absolutely. And so that's when you come in, you get your consultation, you talk about the things that bother you. As the surgeon, 
we will make the diagnosis of the problems that need to be addressed, and we right. will give you surgical solutions for those problems. And then, of course, you have to carve out the time to have the facelift operation. That's really right. important. You have this is a th- there's no lunchtime facelift. <laughs> there's no you know let's oh give can't it, you do uh, minimally invasive this or that yeah so. Yeah. So let's just do one quick one quick detour onto all of the other non-invasive techniques because usually when people come in asking for a rejuvenation, they rarely come in asking for the facelift first. They want to know what else can we possibly do that's not a facelift. That's true. And so that is true. they want to know about everything else. And the everything else includes thread lifts, which is sometimes called a lunchtime facelift, where you put some threads into the skin and you pull it tight, and it lasts for about eight to nine months. And yeah, maybe you can do it on your lunch break. Yeah, they Results work, but they're, are they're not... So-so, and, and they don't last. They don't last, but it, but you don't have to have surgery. But you don't have to have surgery. You can do the things like we are you know doing here with the face tight and the Morpheus, more aggressive energy laser treatments that tighten the skin and they do work and they're good if maybe the person that's not quite ready for a facelift yet but they in no means take the place of a facelift so those there are options but they i will tell you are limited and so if what you really want if you come in and you start pushing your skin up to your ear and saying this is what i want then i'm going to tell you you need a facelift 100 percent. and if your surgeon is telling you you need a facelift you need a facelift because everything else may make it better, but it's probably not going to give you the bang for your buck if that's what you're really looking for. The other thing that you'll hear a lot about is the facelift technique. And and because the internet is so rife with information and has robust articles from every beauty editor right. from in Elle magazine to town and country about facelift techniques, we will tell you at least I will, that the technique that I use to do your facelift may or may not make a difference depending on your face. In other words, I can do multiple different techniques and get a great result with your face. I can do a deep plane facelift. I can do a smass plication. I can do a smass excision. I can do a smass flap. I can do all these different high smass flap. I can do all these different techniques that are written about and talked about as though anybody really knows what they're talking about other than surgeons. I know. That's why if you come and say you want a deep plane facelift or you want a high smash facelift because you read about it or because your friend got it, and not to be rude, not to be mean, not to be disparaging, but unless you are a plastic surgeon that does facelifts on a regular basis, you do don't actually know what you're talking about when you ask for that. And you don't know what's going to be best for you because a exactly. lot of times I'll go into a face saying, well, I'm going to do a deep plane on this one. And then I get in there, I'm like, oh, you know what would be best right. is if I actually do a full-on smash flap. This smash is so thick and it's going to be amazing to pull it. Like if I need volume, there, there are so many variables to the techniques about what you're trying to achieve that to have one size fits all in facelift surgery is to really not understand facelift surgery. And anybody that says, I only do X, really doesn't quite get what it is you're trying to do. You're trying to make people look better. You're not trying to fit them into the box that is your technique of facelifting. That is truly, it's crass. It's really rough. It's just very concrete and blockheadedness of uh, approach to, to doing surgery, in my opinion. So 
we will decide what would be the best technique for your face and we will tell you about it and we will give you all the options. And then if you're like, yes, I want to proceed with my facelift, then we book your surgery and you will get your facelift. And so what can you expect? You will come the day of surgery. You will have your facelift. And depending on whether we're doing eyes and fat grafting, lip lift, all kinds of things, it can range anywhere from four to eight hours, depending on you know what all is happening to you. But you'll get your facelift. And then in my practice, and I think in yours as well, I send you to an aftercare facility for the evening. That is a hotel, usually a fancy hotel close by with a nurse that takes care of you overnight. It's very fancy. Very fancy. I do not like my patients going home the day after a facelift or the evening. No. Um, for two reasons. Number one, they just are more comfortable if they're being taken care of in a fancy hotel by a nurse. Number two, if there's a surgical emergency, it's going to happen the night of surgery. If you have bleeding that's compromising your airway and blood or airway and uh, airflow, basically, and through your neck and breathing passages, that's a surgical emergency. You need to be with a nurse or a medical professional that can recognize it. So that's not negotiable. You go to an aftercare nope. for the first night. And if you want to stay an extra night or two, that's fine, but usually you can go home the next day. From a pain standpoint, it's not bad. You know, there's no. a little discomfort, but in general, you know, you're not sitting there popping pain pills. You're okay. You're swollen. You're a little bruised, but it's not an unbearable pain situation. Yeah, I mean, most patients don't really complain a whole no, lot. No, they about really pain. They, don't. They just kind of say, oh, you know, I took a few Advil, or yeah. they take a Percocet or two the first day or two. Um, the only time it can be painful is when we incorporate the endoscopic brow. And we actually have to drill the endotines in. Right. Those that can cause a little bit of a headache, a There's little a more headache pain. There. But you know, the reality is, is pain is very manageable. You are in a in a compression kind of head wrap deal right. for you know a night, and then we get you into a little bit of a, a neck wrap. Um, there are drains. Um, mm-hmm. I use drains for my big neck dissection yep. facelifts, and and uh, those come out usually at the first day, if yeah. not by the second, second day, day for sure. Yeah, one or two days with the drains. I say keep your head wrap on um, as you know every day for as much as possible for the first week, and then if you want to just go to the evenings for a week or two, that's usually sufficient. But you will be—I mean, you're going to be swollen. We say six weeks in general for things to really calm down. But the first week, you're going to be certainly the most swollen. But after that week, the swelling comes down pretty quickly. Like you could put on some sunglasses and a scarf and go out in public and people probably wouldn't look twice. After about a week. You know, they just wouldn't think that much, you know, had happened to you. So you could get by in a week with sort of going out and about. And certainly by two weeks, you can go out in public and move around and people won't think that you necessarily had anything done recently. And we think that hyperbaric oxygen helps a ton with that process. Helps a lot. So hyperbarics, we've talked about before, but at room air, you're breathing air that's 21% oxygen. The rest of it's, you know, nitrogen and other gases. In a hyperbaric chamber, the air that you breathe in is 100% oxygen. So it really is bringing a lot more oxygen to these wounds and to these fresh surgical areas. And it does a great job at healing things so much faster. It brings the swelling down faster. It moves the healing process along faster. And that's what you want because the longer you stay swollen and sort of stretched out, the skin doesn't have a chance to snap back right away. The skin's going to snap back in that early healing period. So if you can get it down as fast as possible, I think the results are just going to be a little better. And you're going to feel better sooner. Yeah, all the sutures come out after a week. You know, sometimes we have to leave some of the scalp ones in for another three or four or five days. 
but typically by 10, 12 days after surgery, you've had all the stitches out, everything's done, your bruising should be going away, yeah. you know, most part. Hopefully you don't have a whole lot of bruising. We do a lot of things in surgery to prevent that, not just stopping the bleeding surgically, but also using things like transexamic acid and and sometimes DDAVP. There, there's a lot of ways that we treat bleeding so that there isn't a whole lot of bruising. Right. Some people bruise. Some people bruise and people You know that, who you are. <laughs> people that are at higher risk for bleeding and bruising tend to be men, um, people who have problems with blood pressure. So if you have high blood pressure, that really has to be treated before coming to surgery because the higher the blood pressure, the higher the chance you're going to bleed yes. and you're going to have some complications. So men, people with high blood pressure or just you know prone to bruising in general are going to have problems. Um, but yeah, I th- the recovery process is usually pretty straightforward. If you're planning on doing a facelift before some big event, I would say give it at least three months to sort of really yes. settle in. You'll still see some changes after three months, but for the most part, you're going to be looking really, really good at three months. Yeah, I, mean, I think uh, I think it's. I like to take the post-op photos at like five months. Three months minimum for me. Yeah, five yeah. months they look like they're. It's going to change more, but at that point, that's kind of what you're going to get. Right. You know, and then they start that's aging again. And that's the thing. So <laughs> the aging process is going to continue. We have not stopped the aging process. We have not figured out a way to reverse gravity after a facelift. So gravity and the aging process is going to continue to work on your skin and on your face. It's just the clock's been sort of set back 10 years. Yep. And so you will continue to age and you're going to probably need to revise that facelift depending on what age you had it. You know, we've been talking a lot about getting facelifts earlier in your 40s. That just means you're probably going to need an extra facelift. You know, these have a shelf life of like 10 years. So there's a chance that you're going to have to maybe have, you know, two or three if you really want to keep it up. But, and that's fine. You can keep having facelifts. That's totally yeah, fine. Re- revision facelift will be another one-on-one, but yeah. we'll, uh, we're going to stick with just the face and neck for now. Um, and then, yeah, you'll follow up with your, with your surgeon, but then you'll also get on a little bit of a maintenance and maximization program with the lasers, Botox, right. and fillers to keep it looking awesome. awesome. Because here's the thing. We can do a lot with the facelift in terms of repositioning the soft tissues and restoring that youthful shape to the face. But if the skin on top of the face has a lot of sun damage or if someone's been a smoker or there's just a lot of coarse skin, it's going to compromise the results. So either treat the skin first, hit it with a series of laser treatments to resurface it, or afterwards you can do it either way. But if you ignore the skin that needs to be treated and just do the facelift, you're going to have a suboptimal result. The idea is to really make sure that that skin is, is literally, it's just, it's the icing, it's the bow on the whole thing because that's what people see. They notice right. your skin. They don't necessarily know that you've had a facelift, but they notice your skin. So certainly don't neglect that. And that and that's a segue into, I've, I have so many people say, oh, oh gosh, I, I would love to have a facelift, but I don't want to look like my friend or I don't want to look like, you know, the ladies that I saw, I hate to disparage Texas, but I had someone say that to me the other day. I used to live in Texas and oh my gosh, the facelifts I used to see there. It, look, this is where I go back befores and afters. Go look at people's results. Everyone's going to have a different look to a facelift. In this office, it's going to be a very natural look. Yes. You're not going to look like you've been pulled to the moon. It's going to be like you, but, you know, 10 years ago. You 10 years ago. It's going to be a soft, more rejuvenated look. People may not know that you've had a facelift. 
you know, just think you'll look better, look more refreshed. That's the idea. Not that you look like some like crazy, you know, freak on a 80s soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's the truth is you see bad faceless because you see them. They're obvious. Right. You don't notice all the really good ones that have been done. That's right. You don't. Yeah. I mean, people don't notice who's had a facelift if it's a good one. They just think that, oh, that's a nice looking person or whatever. Right. They don't Gosh, sit there they and go, they really good for their age. Yeah. Or they don't know their age, so they don't even know that they right. shouldn't be looking that amazing. So, right. you know. And that is the truth. You don't notice the good ones. And that's also sort of a reason to maybe do it sooner rather than later. There's lots of reasons to maybe do it sooner rather than later. But you can get away with it in your 40s, maybe early 50s. People not necessarily knowing that you had a facelift because you don't look dramatically different. You just look better. Whereas if you're in your 60s and you're next, you know, touching your chest and the jowls are down below, you you know, it's going to be very obvious (laughs) that you had something done. And that's a little bit harder to get away with. Well, Dr. Ravello, I think what I would say to our listeners Though this is Facelift 101, we have done no less than 10 other episodes on facelifting and neck lifting and facial rejuvenation. So I would encourage you to go back and binge listen or binge watch on YouTube. It turns out a lot of people watch our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know, it it should be a TV show. (laughs) Like call the networks, find out when we start, We'll, we'll show up. And, and do this on TV. It'd be just fine. But uh, go back and binge listen to those episodes on facelift technique. There's a whole thing on deep plane facelift. Mm-hmm. There's a whole thing um, on revision um, facelift. I think there's a there's, smass one out there's there. There's a smass one out right. there. Whatever you want. Yeah. Like we've got, we've got all those things covered so you can get the information. And if you have questions, obviously, send us a message through uh, our Instagram. You can DM us or through our, our Instagram channels. And uh, and we'll go from there. Do you have anything more on Facelift 101? No, I don't think we talked about the complications. That's always a good one um, to know about. Yeah, we should do that. Have though. complications. Um, and it's important to know that going into it. In general, you know, 98% of patients do great and don't really have too many issues. But some things do happen. In the very beginning, like we touched on, you could have um, a hematoma in the hematoma neck. Hematoma is most common which complication. Which is a, you know, it can be an airway emergency. If it gets large enough and it's compressing your airway, that is a surgical emergency. And that usually happens in the first 24 hours or so. That's an immediate return to the OR, evacuate the hematoma. And then that's that's usually it. Um, going forward after that, you know, there can be some scar issues which we can address. In general, the scars are pretty well hidden. So even if there is a little bit of a breakdown or an issue, they're in spots where you don't yep. notice them, even if your hair is pulled up into a ponytail. So sc- scarring, you know, can be an issue very, very rarely. I don't even know. Have you, do you see keloids on these incisions? I've seen one. One. I've done, yeah. I've, I've done now probably... probably Five six hundred facelifts. Yeah, that's a pretty low yeah, risk. Yeah, so I mean, I've seen one. Yeah, I mean, it can happen, but it's that's very very unusual. And then in terms of the deeper structures, you know, there are nerves, there's facial nerves that are very much in the path of the surgery. So every once in a while, those little nerves will get traumatized, and they don't like being moved and shaken around. And so you can have like 
usually a temporary paralysis. Um, you might have a little bit of facial or a lip yep. droop on one side. That definitely happens. That definitely happens. Yeah. I see nerve weaknesses for the first few weeks that kind of resolve quickly, mostly from the local anesthesia. Sometimes they can persist. They, yeah. I haven't seen anything permanently. Right. For it to persist permanently, the nerve would actually have to have been cut or severed or, re- or really beaten up or really beaten up and that's just not that common it no. certainly can happen but usually the ones we see are of the temporary variety and while it can be disconcerting to you at the time for sure know that in general they all get better on their own after a few weeks um hair loss around some of the incisions hair that, loss, that, yeah. that i have seen um yeah because some of those incisions are tucked into your hairline and so sometimes, yes, you can see some hair that, loss that around. I've those. seen like in the back of the scalp. That's not terrible, but like it's you know you, you prefer not. That's not common again, but you know you should like when you get your consent forms, read them. There's a right. reason all that stuff's on those consent right, cause forms. It's happened to someone. It's happened to somebody. Yeah. You know you can't consent for malpractice. So you know those things do happen, and when they do, you need a good surgeon who's going to take care of right. you. That's why you go to a board certified plastic surgeon who's on you know on your team. You know, and the board-certified facial plastic right. surgeons. These these are the the two specialties that I think really can can do facelifts in a safe and effective manner. I think if you're going to somebody that's you know uh, some other specialty and they've taken time to learn to do facelifts, uh, maybe maybe not. It's it's really iffy. I, I mean, remember the statistic: there are what 7,500 board-certified plastic surgeons in the United States of America. There are 45,000 people practicing plastic surgery. <laughs> the statistics are not yeah. good that you're winding math. up yeah. in the right kind of an office. And I think there are only like 12 or 1,500 board-certified facial plastic surgeons. Right. It, it's, not, it's not a ton of people that are really qualified to do this. So make sure you do your research on who's doing your facelift. We're, For sure. You know, we're available. We'll help you but um, you know, to, to do your facelift. But if you don't live here, you've got to find somebody that's you know, really, really got, got their – they got game. Right. And then, as we always do in these 101s, we do talk about the cost because that's a very real thing. Um, and again, this is very it's about a million regional. Dollars. <laughs> One million dollars. Um, it's very regional, depending on where you are. So prices across the country are going to vary. Beverly Hills prices are certainly not applicable to most of the rest of the country. But places like New York, San Francisco, you know, they're going to have similar price points as well. So the the thing is... You know, any plastic surgery is going to be a huge range, but I think in facelift surgery, there's a huge range. Right, because it of depends surges. on the specialty and the and the expertise of your right. surgeon, how long they've been doing it, right, and the and the zip code you practice in. And so here, I think a facelift will range anywhere from twenty thousand dollars to two hundred thousand dollars in in LA. In yeah, in the Beverly Hills area. Yes. Yeah. So that that's a huge range, but I would say the lowest you're going to find it is fifteen twenty thousand dollars. Um, and then all the way up to you know, 200 plus. Yeah. And then you know, the people in Beverly Hills have been doing it for you know, 25, 30 years. They're going to be closer to the $80,000, $100,000 range. Right. I recognize these prices are ridiculous. Other parts of the country, you know, a facelift is $15,000. Yeah. Yeah, $12,000, $15,000. So, yeah, $10,000. I know, I know some parts of uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, it's, you know, ten, twelve thousand dollars, fifteen thousand bucks as a very expensive facelift in those yes. areas. So just again, it depends on where you practice. Doesn't mean necessarily that one is better than the other just because their prices are more. No. Um, but usually it does correlate with experience and how long they've been doing it. So do your homework, figure out who your surgeon is, do you get along with them? Do you like the results? And then, you know, figure out what you're willing to pay for it. Yeah, and and that that is uh it, 
you know, it's an elective procedure, so you're gonna you're gonna pay for that. You're gonna pay for, you know, aftercare, hyperbaric oxygen. It is an expensive endeavor, but yes. man, does it look good when it's over. Oh, God. And I said this before. I tell my friends now: start putting with your pennies for your facelift because when you want it, when you need it, you're really going to want it, and you're gonna be so happy when you get it. And that that is not the time for you to start saving for your facelift when you already want it desperately to <laughs> start saving for it ahead of time. And there you go. What else? Anything else? I, I, we're trying to keep it short and sweet. Keep it to the basics. Certainly, if you want to dive deeper, you can go back to any of our other yeah, faceless podcasts. We, we have, we have all the information there, but we just wanted to kind of give a little update on where things are. <laughs> give our facelift podcast a facelift. Definitely. Oh Gosh, nerds. Well, the, <laughs> in that case, this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. If you like what you heard on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast and want to get in touch with either Dr. Ravello or myself, this is how to do it. You can reach me at the website, ravelloplasticsurgery.com. You can reach out to the office directly through the website with any questions or consult requests, or you can call the office directly at 310-954-1355. And you can reach me on Instagram at ravelloplasticsurgery. And to reach me, the phone number is 310-777-8800. My website is drcalvert.com, drcalvert.com. Instagram, Dr. J. Calvert. And of course, you may want to check out our YouTube channel for the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, which is simply that, Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Hope to see you all in the office very soon.